Today's culture is full of activity. As the world picks up pace, it's easier to leave people and relationships behind. So many are longing to be heard, to be seen, and to be known. That's why understanding the gift of presence is so important for us to not only understand, but to live out in our everyday lives. In 2018, Heritage desired to have true community connection through the gift of presence, where we engaged in long-term relational opportunities that empower people to be able to love themselves, others, and to point them toward a relationship with a God who desires to be present in their everyday lives. We invite you to view some of the ways we step toward that this year. We understand that we, the people of Heritage Church, cannot accomplish all that God has for this community, and we are so grateful to financially partner with wonderful organizations. Thank you, Heritage, for your investment of time, talent, and treasure to be present in this past year. 
We look forward to the ways that God will continue to facilitate relationships as we go, be, love. This is us. This is church on the move. This is church outside the walls. If you're joining us from our Bettendorf campus or our men at Kiwani here at Rock Island or online, I hope that you're as excited about that video as I was because it just begins to just capture just a little bit of what God is doing as we've been faithful to steward the opportunities that he's given us to go be love in this last year. As a matter of fact, there's so much to talk about, about where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. We can't do it all in one weekend. And so this is just the start of our Go Be Love series. Over the next two weekends, we're gonna just continue to unpack this journey that we've been on. You know, a few years ago, we as a church began evaluating how we were investing in our missional engagement and what relationships we were actually inviting people into. And we realized that we needed to be really offering people more than just the opportunity to write a check, but we needed to offer relationships that had a primary focus of being present, present in the gaps in our community. Now, there are different ways to understand a gap, and I wanna define it for our purposes today. And Pastor Sean has talked about this in the past, as the second gap that we as a church bridge so that people can cross the next gap into their relationship with Jesus. But for our purposes today, we're gonna be talking about gap as any empty space that has become an obstacle for people to move toward flourishing. And so we know that there are gaps in our community, gaps that exist because of racism and implicit bias and gaps that exist because of socioeconomic limitations. There are gaps that exist in the quads cities because of a lack of public transportation. There are gaps that exist in our cities because our schools are under-resourced. There's gaps that exist for lots of reasons. And so we wanted to learn about these gaps and, and understand from the Lord how we should step into these spaces. And so we took a posture of listening and learning, learning from those in our Quad City communities who were already invested in caring for under-resourced and marginalized populations. For we know that as we look at scripture, we most often found Jesus when we look at scripture and where was Jesus? He was ministering in the margins. And so when we launched the Esperanza Center, we launched this center out of the posture that said, we wanna be in the gaps. We wanna be in the spaces where, where, where maybe the church hasn't been before. And one of the things that we also learned as we listened in our community is that we have amazing kids in our cities and they're a tremendous asset, but many of them are under-resourced. They're vulnerable to exploitation and violence and falling victim to further cycles of poverty. And so we began to focus very intentionally on building relationships with some great schools, schools who are standing in the gap for under-resourced kids right here in the Quad Cities. And when we built these relationships, we committed to the leaders in these schools that we were going to do it from a posture of presence, of being with and not doing for. We promised to take our cues for service and connection from these leaders who already had great vision and who had sound priorities. 
And so our first par partnership was with Jefferson Elementary in the Davenport School District. That led to our partnership with Thurgood Marshall in the Rock Island District, now Lincoln Irving in the Moline School District, and next John Deere Middle School. These are long haul investments, my friends. You can see in your note guide on the inside page, the many ways that we connect in these and other spaces. And I invite you to take time to look at that note guide throughout the week. It's got lots of great information about what we're doing, why we're doing it and how we're doing it. But I wanna go back to this concept of presence because it's really important that we understand this and we have this right. So when I'm talking about presence, I'm talking about the commitment to primarily be with and not just do for. And I wanna let you know, give you a heads up that this is really hard for us in America. We struggle with this because we want to do a project. We want to do a thing. We wanna point to it. We wanna check it off our list. We wanna feel amazing at what we've accomplished. And really, there's nothing wrong at the end of the day with doing something that's needed and doing something that's great. But if we, if we don't do it from a posture of being with and we just come in and we blow in and we do the thing and we check it off the list and we're out, I question if we've really made the lasting change that we wanna see. And so practicing presence is just that. It's something we have to practice. We have to fight against that tendency to just wanna rush in do our thing and be out. The reality is that nothing of significance will happen long-term through one event or through a project. It's hand in hand, heart in heart, it's doing life together. Now I'm a slow learner, I freely admit that. And I've had a long struggle in really getting this whole concept of the power of presence because I'm a doer, I'm a fixer. Show me the mountain that needs to be climbed and that's what I wanna do and get to the top of the mountain and then look for the next one. And God has been teaching me over many years about this posture of presence and why it is so, so important. And I wanna share with you um, just an experience I had several years ago that really solidified this for me and, and really kind of broke through uh, just my, my proclivity towards, I'm gonna go and do and I'm gonna go and fix. Um, in 2010, there was a devastating earthquake in Haiti and many of you will remember seeing those images on your TV screen. And our church at the time had a partnership in Haiti. We were partnered with organizations there. We'd been going there for years, very invested in the country. And so a few days after the earthquake, I found myself on a plane headed to Haiti uh, to connect in some vital areas and, and really just to, to, as an ambassador of our church, to show up in the space and to see what I, what I could do. Um, one of the things that I was tasked with was working with some organizations to find groups of vulnerable children who were without caregivers and get them into safety to make sure they didn't get exploited. And I had a whole stack of adoption papers for kids who were far enough along in the process that embassies had said, we'll, we'll take those kids, we'll expedite them and we'll get them to their families. And so I did a lot of that in the first week or so. And then that was sort of wrapping up and then I connected with our, our, the Wesleyan Church in Haiti. And um, my friend Carl Gilles, who you'll see that we support the Gilles family in Haiti, he's a Haitian pastor and missionary there. We wanted to go and we wanted to see the church that, that we'd been partnered with. We, it was in Port-au-Prince. We knew it had been hard hit. We hadn't really seen the amount of damage yet. And a lot of our families 
Um, it was a very large church. A lot of families in the area um, had been killed or lost loved ones and certainly had lost their homes. And so we just wanted to go into that space. And I'll admit at that point, I was feeling pretty depleted. Um, I had been giving and giving and giving and processing a lot and was fairly traumatized at that point just by all the things that I had seen and, and borne witness to. And so we started to drive around and it was crazy how difficult it was to even navigate. Landmarks that used to be there, like, you know, you turn at this building, they were no longer there. Roads that we would have gone down were just giant holes in the ground. You, they were totally impassable. Rubble was everywhere. And so we just, we were creeping along, very disoriented. And we finally came up in the area where the church should have been and, and part of it was still standing. And, and we looked at this area and there was one house standing. It was on a hillside. I'll never forget it. One house was standing on the hillside. The rest of the houses were just a massive rubble. And there were several families that we knew should have been in that area. And it was starting to get to be dark. And we kind of looked out and we thought we saw a, a couple sitting in the rubble. And so Carl pulled over. We got out. We walked towards that couple and they saw us coming. And they jumped up out of the rubble. This woman had this huge smile on her face as she shuffled over to me. And I just, it was, it was so humbling. She was so excited to see us. And she, as they got right up to us, she grabbed my hands and she pulled me into herself. And she said, you are here with us. You are here with us. And it meant everything to them in the moment that we had come just to be with them. Because at that point, honestly, it reminded me in scripture where it says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. I had nothing left. I had, no, I had no rice in my vehicle anymore and no tarps and no rope and no anything to change the physical circumstances that they were facing except presence and praying for them in the name of Jesus. And that was enough. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment and has spoken to me in many moments since then. That's where you start. It's not, it's not the stuff you bring. It's not the stuff you do. It's bringing me into the space. <clears throat> you know, the reality is I think we, we often struggle with not being the heroes of the story. And we've got to remember, we've got to just train our hearts and minds and bodies to remember that Jesus is the ultimate hero of the story. And so we've got to get out of the way and so we choose in our missional relationships to come alongside and let the teachers, the administrators, the parents, the dads, the coaches, the leaders in the space be the heroes. We choose to love and serve and encourage and empower and point to Jesus with everything we do, with everything we say, with all that we give for the long haul. We work really hard to connect within the context of long-term relationship, not doing project-based ministry, but a relational journey towards hope and healing and restoration and flourishing. And I wanna say something here about one of our investments in our schools specifically. The teachers in these schools are stinking rock stars. And every time I'm in one of the schools, I just go around and say, you're a rock star, you're awesome, you're doing a great job, keep it up they're working in a really hard space with kids coming from really hard stuff and they're often under-resourced themselves 
And so something that's been vital in our long haul relationship with our schools is having teacher encouragers. All this requires of you, if this is something you would lean into, is to write a card a month to a teacher during the school year to do just what I just said that I do when I'm in this space, to say, I see you, you matter, you're doing a great job, keep it up, I'm praying for you. We need teacher encouragers at all of our partner locations. And so if that's something that stirs you, I wanna encourage you to mark that on your commitment card for Go Be Love. I'm gonna talk about that card here in a little bit. But it's an important investment. When I show up in the schools and interact with the teachers, I can't tell you how often I'll talk to somebody who said, you know what, I got a card from, from one, of, one of your people at Heritage just yesterday, and man, did I need it, because I was ready to quit. I was ready to bail. I was ready to be out. You know, generosity and this posture of giving of ourselves and giving the gift of presence is something that's talked about a lot in scripture. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 9 this week and over the next two weeks. And I invite you to turn there now. I want to frame it just a little bit for us. Um, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing a letter to a church that's just, it's just started out. It's a baby church. So they have a lot of stuff going on. 1 Corinthians 13 is in there. Like he's talking about basic stuff. Like, hey people, this is how you love. This is what love actually is. And now when we get to the second letter, the church has actually grown up more. And they've got more of their own house in order. And so Paul's writing this letter to them about how they as a church interact outside their walls and the opportunities in front of them. And so Paul here is encouraging the church in Corinth to be generous in their giving to the needy around them, but also generous in their giving to the Jews in Jerusalem. Now this was a Gentile church and he's saying, hey, your generosity should expand, not just to those who look like you and speak the same language as you and are comfortable to you and are right there, but also to the Jews in Jerusalem. He clearly ties their generosity to their understanding of how generous God has been with them and that their generosity is actually an expression of gratitude back to God. So let's turn there, 2 Corinthians 9 verses 12 through 15. Paul says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in your many expressions of thanks to God. That's how I felt as I watched the celebration video of all that God has done in and through Heritage Church. It's this overflowing thing that is spilling out into our community that just points people to Jesus. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace, that sharis, that gift of grace that God has given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That word gift that's used here in Greek is, is doria. And this is the same word that's used in John 4, 10, when Jesus is interacting with the woman at the well. And they're talking about water and, and Jesus says to her, if you, if you had just known the gift, the Doria, the gift of God that is standing before you, you would have asked me for living water. 
as we head into Advent this year, and as we look all the way to Christmas, which honestly, it's just around the corner, we're going to be looking at this concept of the gift, pointing us to the ultimate gift, Emmanuel, God with us. It is his gift of presence that allows us to be truly present with those in need. And so we say thanks be to God because of his indescribable gift, his gift presence with us that gives us agency to be with others, to be generous in investing our time and our talent and our treasure. But we've always got to remember that our service in the name of Jesus is not about simply meeting human need. We see needs in front of us, and when we're in relational spaces, we're going to bump into need. And there's nothing inherently wrong with meeting that need. We've invited all of us to consider, though, that sometimes better than us meeting the need is empowering and a coming alongside someone else who's better positioned to meet that need than we are, who's already relationally present. But here's the amazing thing that we as a church get to be part of. When we show up in a space and we're looking at meeting need, we're not simply meeting human need. We are serving divine purpose. Because the reason that we're in that space isn't about us. It's not about us feeling great. It's not even about the need. It's about Jesus and Holy Spirit now being present in the space in a new way. This nexus of meeting need and fulfilling divine purpose, I think that's a sweet spot that we all look at and we're like, yeah, I want to be in that space. So then the question for all of us can become, where do I invest? Again, as we've recalibrated our church investments, we have been prayerful and careful to step into the spaces that God himself is clearly inviting us into. And as I look at where he's taken us over the last few years, it's amazing to me how closely it mirrors what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25. You'll remember in this passage of scripture that that it's the judgment time and it's the righteous and the unrighteous and the Lord divides the righteous and the unrighteous and the sheep and the goats. And he says to the sheep, the righteous, come unto me. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And in verse 37, the righteous respond in this way. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick? or in prison, and go to visit you. Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. My friends, to live out Matthew 25 requires us to have a tangible presence. You cannot hand a thirsty person a cup of water from a distance. You cannot put food in front of a hungry person if you're not in the space. You cannot be with someone in prison without entering into that space yourself. You cannot welcome the stranger without opening your arms, the refugee, the immigrant, the undocumented. 
We must have presence. We must bring the gift of presence. We must be the gift of presence. Now, when we minister to the least of these, it doesn't mean they have less value in the kingdom. It's just acknowledging our social and cultural values that take a group of people that often fall into these descriptions and make them invisible and marginalize them. When we minister to the least of these, we are both being Jesus with skin on, we are actually incarnating Jesus, we are also in that moment ministering to him. It's this crazy thing of we are being Jesus with skin on, we are ministering to Jesus, and oh, by the way, when we're in those spaces where that happens, we are also seeing the kingdom of heaven start to happen here on earth. Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we're in those spaces, it's as though heaven has come to earth. These are our up and to the right moments. This is what is happening when we're present in our local schools, when we care for immigrants through our work at the Esperanza Legal Assistance Center, when we travel weekly out to Kiwani to be with our brothers in prison, and when we facilitate opportunities for them to engage meaningfully and with dignity with their families, when we hand out food with a prayer on our lips, when we deliver underwear and coats to children who need them, when we give socks to the men and women at the Rock Island County Jail who have none. I wanna pause right here and I just wanna address our brothers at Kiwani. And I wanna to say to you that you are not a project. You are men who are made in the image of God and we call out that image in you. And we say that God has plans for you that are beautiful. Plans for restoration and reconciliation and redemption, and it is our honor and our joy to journey along with you. I love to talk to our men from Heritage after they've been in the Kiwani space because they have this like glow on their faces. They don't necessarily know that, but I know it and I see it and I love to talk to them about it. And you know what has happened? Because when they're in that space, they've been experiencing the kingdom of heaven on earth. Matthew 25 points us to this crazy reality that when we serve the least visible of these, when we open up our eyes, we are both being Jesus and serving Jesus in these moments and we experience that holy hush that lets us know that we've experienced the kingdom. Jesus talked about kingdom a lot when he was here. And one of the great ways that he illustrates uh, kingdom is, is how it connects to children. And we can learn a lot from children. So I want us to look at Luke 18, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus has been teaching the masses. And the disciples are really proud of themselves because they've been keeping the kids away from Jesus so Jesus could do his thing. And Jesus finds out about this. And he says, oh, no. Oh, no. That's not what's happening here. Jesus calls to the children and he says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, do not stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So let's think about that. How do children receive? How do, how do they let you know that they have a need? A small child who's hungry says, I'm hungry. 
A child who's thirsty says, I'm thirsty, I want that. If you've got something they want, they let you know. They hands wide open, grasping, knowing their need, saying their need, and understanding that they can't meet their need on their own. We can learn a lot from children. As I look at the gaps that God's asked us to bridge in the Quad Cities, it's amazing to me to see how his heart for vulnerable children and those who are in prison, the hungry, the food insecure, those who need clothing are all represented in our investments over the last year. Our concern over the gap for those who are mentally ill and those who care for them has led us to lean into partnership with NAMI in the coming year. What started out as buying a projector for John Deere Middle School has led to the opportunity for Luke, our Rock Island HSM pastor, to share with over 100 boys about integrity, developing good character and responsibility. What may have just seemed like supplying coats at Lincoln Irving has led to the, op- has led to the participation of boys and girls in a running club, a club that prov- promotes confidence and healthy habits and strong character. Our Esperanza bus stop, which needs volunteers, by the way, and if you're a morning person, and I mean an early morning person, this is a great opportunity for you. If you don't function well before 10 a.m., this is not your thing, and that's okay. But if you are up early in the morning, every morning during the school year from 6.30 to 7.20 or so, we are at the Esperanza Center providing a warm, safe space for kids, feeding them breakfast, giving them homework help, and seeing them safely onto the bus that will take them to school. Again, I point you to your sermon note guide for more information about how to engage with that. Heart to heart, hand to hand, we're journeying together to see flourishing happen here in the Quad Cities, in Kiwani, in Sierra Leone, as we empower and support those who are fighting for child protection. And as we've been faithful as Heritage Church in our 24-7, 365 reality, God is now letting us know that we're ready to be an effective partner in his empowering work with vulnerable children across an ocean. And so I'm thrilled to announce that we're gonna be partnering with Zoe in Kenya in 2019. We're gonna be learning more about Zoe next week. You will not want to miss it. We're gonna have Gaston Warner, their CEO, with us throughout the weekend. And we've been in a, in a vetting process really with Zoe to understand who they are and for them to understand who we are and to see if this would be a relationship that God would be asking us to forge together. And so just this past summer, it was kind of one of the final steps in the process. I went with Zoe to Rwanda where they've been involved for years. And their model is that they, put, they take kids who are orphans or extremely vulnerable and they put them in working groups. And these are groups of about 100. And these kids go through a three-year journey of really being empowered to be the answer to the problems that face them. And so we went from town to town. And this picture here really shows the joy that, that would greet us everywhere we went. And these are kids coming from incredibly difficult circumstances and spaces. But they were so excited to see us, so, so proud to tell us their stories. It was just beautiful to be in that space. Um, But there's one particular story I want to share with you that really uh, just jumped out at me in my time there. We went to a town um, where we met up with a young woman who was standing in front of a storefront right by the side of the road. She had a beautiful smile on her face, beautiful um, young woman. And before we got out of the bus, Epiphany, 
um, who is the leader of the work in Rwanda and really the mother of Zoe in that uh, the model that Zoe uses was birthed out of her heart and her imagination and her vision. Um, she said, hold on, I don't want you to get off the bus yet. I want to give you some of the backstory of this, this girl so that you can appreciate the journey that God has had her on over the last two years. And so Epiphany shared with us her story. This girl was raised in an abusive family. Her father had severely crippled her mother through severe abuse, and he had abused her as well. She was raped as a teenager by men in the village repeatedly and got pregnant from those encounters. When the townspeople, when she began to show, the, the people in the village were really upset with her, and so um, they looked at her as being responsible um, or irresponsible, and so they kicked her out of the village. And so I asked Epiphany, I said, well, where did she go? Because there was nothing around there. And she said, she just kind of went out in the bush and made her own way. She gave birth out there, and uh, Zoe became aware of her desperate situation after she had the baby. And Zoe was also aware that in the time that the girl had been gone, her father had had a severe accident, and so there was no caregiver in the family. Her five siblings were, were not being cared for, and it was really a desperate situation for the whole family. And so they invited this young woman into the Zoe program, where she learned how to run a business and care for herself, her child, and her family. And so we heard all of that, and I could hardly just manage the dissonance of hearing her story and seeing the girl, because she was just beautiful and radiated joy and peace and beauty. Um, and so we got out, we walked over to her, and it struck me that as we started walking towards her, there was this crowd of the village all around her. The village, the same village that had kicked her out, not a year or two before that, now came to her to buy their daily needs, their soap, their toothbrush, their toothpaste. They were proud of her and what she had accomplished. And I felt that holy hush that happens when you see the kingdom of heaven on earth where things get turned upside down and what man has deemed to be worth, throwing, worth nothing and just discarding and throwing away, Jesus comes in the space and sees and elevates and restores and redeems. This young woman shared with us her story of transformation and the gift of grace that she knew because of Jesus. She could not say thank you enough Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks to us, thanks to Zoe. Pure gratitude coming from a space that really, if you stood back and looked at it, still didn't have much. The challenge for us is to receive the kingdom with open hands like a child and steward the kingdom opportunities around us with the grace and mercy that this child displayed. You know, her story is outrageous on many levels, and you may have felt that as I was sharing some of the details. But I'm reminded of this quote by Carl Rohn. It's often easier to become enraged by injustice half a world away than by oppression and discrimination that's just half a block from home. And so we need to be mindful of this. Because what can happen is we can go somewhere else and we see what's happening and we see injustice and we see discrimination and we see oppression and we see poverty and we're all stirred up about it while we're there and then we come back and there's distance now. We don't have presence with it anymore. And so we lose that fervor and that commitment 
to see change happen. And so we're going to have to manage that tension now as we lean more into international engagement. We can't lose our commitment to continue in our daily gift of presence here, showing up in our long-haul relationships. So the challenge for us, whether we're here or we find ourselves there, it's water to the thirsty, food for the hungry, care for the sick, the mentally ill, visit the prisoner, stand with vulnerable children, welcome the stranger. Living out kingdom requires presence. And so it's up to us to be willing to examine our own hearts. Are we really willing to give that gift? And so there's two things I want to ask you to do out of this weekend and as we lean into the next two weeks. The first is to find the commitment card in the seat pocket in front of you. On the back of it, it says my gift of presence, my gift of empowerment, my gift of love. And I just simply ask you to, to take that home and to start praying about how God might be asking to stretch you into releasing your comfort so that you can embrace kingdom. The second thing that I just want to remind you of, as you walked in, you may have seen the Christmas trees out in the lobby. Yes, Christmas is just around the corner, but those are our giving trees. And so we've got opportunities for you to engage with grabbing one or two or three tags off those trees and interacting with either our Kiwani giving tree, which allows the dads in our Kiwani Life Skills Rantry Center to give meaningful gifts to their kids this Christmas. Our Lincoln Irving tree, is got different items on there to help stock their store, a store that's helping kids to learn better behavior and improve their character. And then the last tree at our Rock Island campus is our Thurgood Marshall tree, which supports all of the great things we'll be involved with in December over in our Thurgood Marshall partnership. And so pray about this, grab a tag off of the giving tree, and then I've got another prayer ask of you. In just a moment, we're going to pray together a prayer that John Wesley used called the Wesley Covenant Prayer. And when he would travel and gather together the bands of followers that had developed in different locations, they would pray this prayer together. This prayer is in the back of your note guide, and I invite you to pray it in the morning or at night or sometime throughout the day, every day this week, and see what God might do in you in that space. This prayer describes the life of a participant with Christ and his mission. It's a practical description of what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you want to become my followers, you've got to deny yourselves and take up your cross daily and follow me. This covenant prayer helps us remember what this Jesus way of life looks like and what loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves requires of us. The covenant prayer describes a missional life that's devoted to following Jesus as serving as his ambassador in the world. It tells us that being a Christian is more a way of life than just having a set of beliefs. The covenant prayer describes the Jesus way of self-giving and self-emptying love. This way of living and loving is possible only in community. 
a community that's centered on the life and mission of the crucified and risen Jesus and the work of Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. May we, as Heritage Church, be that community, a community committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ reigning supreme and a community totally submitted and surrendered to the work of Holy Spirit in each one of us, that holiness, Christ-likeness would be worked out in each one of our lives. I'm gonna pray this prayer over us as we close this time together. And I wanna encourage you to pray this again for yourselves throughout the coming week. My friends, I hope that you feel an excitement and a leaning forward because the best is yet to come. God has done amazing things in and through heritage, but he has more for us. And so we just really need to be ready for it, just trying to stay in step with what he's doing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, we surrender. And we say that we are no longer our own, but we are yours. Put us to what you will. Rank us with whom you will. Put us to doing, put us to suffering. Let us be employed by you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low by you. Let us be full, let us be empty, let us have all things, let us have nothing. We freely and we heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen.